State Sycamores are tournament champions. The Ramblers of Loyola, Chicago, and Missouri State is Missouri Valley Conference tournament champion. Northern Iowa back in the NCAA tournament. Wichita State Shockers, winners of the Missouri Valley Conference. Recording on Friday, September 9, the Inside the Valley podcast here on NBC Sports. And the Missouri Valley Conference on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Stitcher, and a whole host of ways to download this podcast. My name is Derek Dockett, Associate Commissioner of New Media and Technology with the Valley. Uh, Co-host Ryan Davis. We've uh, had three. This This is the third third one? episode. We're churning right along now. (laughs) And we're going to just jump right into what we're going to talk about this week because we've got an in quote-unquote studio oh, yeah. guest. Can we call it a studio? It's fancy today. I always call it the world headquarters of the Missouri Valley Conference because it's like, do we have another location? Not really, but um, we're going to talk scheduling. The basketball schedules did uh, come out earlier this week, and we have the in-house scheduling guru for the Valley, not only for basketball, but for all of our sports across the board. Uh, Greg Walter's been with the league since 2012. 2012. All right. I nailed that. Wow. It was one time where Greg and I were like the new people, and now like that's like totally changed. Yeah, we've uh, added three new folks in the last little bit here, and so now I'm one of the old timers. But yeah, uh, hey, glad to be here. The Wiley and, uh, veteran. Yeah, thanks for having me down for uh, the ten step walk from my office to the conference <laughs> room. This is pretty exciting stuff. Well, as I said, the, the basketball schedules came out, and the one thing that we sort of want to talk about is that. It's not an easy process to put those things together, not just basketball, but all the, the schedules across the board. But let's start there. Um, obviously, basketball's very extremely popular sport with our fans across the league. Um, I guess my first question, because we can go in a lot of different directions with this, with basketball, because it's so intricate with 10 teams, television, uh, on-campus facilities, off-campus facilities, where do you even start? Like, do you take recommendations do you have a number of things that are tiered where do you even start in the process yeah three places like you said we we have a whole list of about 20 parameters that we really try to hit with the development of the schedule some of those are competitive and we kind of flesh those out as we go we start by doing a couple of things we collect the uh institutional facility availability like you said we've got a couple of men's teams and one women's team that currently play in civic buildings and so uh, those buildings have a whole host of other tenants and other business that they need to accommodate and so we get facility availability from them some of our campus facilities have limitations and other events they like to host and then uh, we send out uh, a fairly detailed questionnaire and have a good back and forth with each of our schools to develop what they're looking for in terms of specific preferences, requests. Some of our institutions have Hall of Fame ceremonies that they're trying to accommodate. Some of them have uh, key admissions weekends that they like to wrap around basketball, other events. And so uh, we, we put all that together in June and July. And then uh, we have a series of media contracts through ESPN, CBS Sports Network, and Fox and Comcast. We put together those, uh, those dates and typically 
that comes together around the end of July, early August. Once we piece that together, um, then we're able to really kind of get up and running. And like you said, it's it's an incredibly exhaustive process that takes place over usually about four to six weeks. We work with programmers, uh, some of the best programmers in that do sports scheduling, and uh, four of our staff members, the commissioner, two of our associate commissioners, Jack Watkins and Mike Kern and myself, spend a, a good amount of time in the conference room fleshing out. It becomes a second job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it becomes, uh, that's pretty much my job for, for all of August. So, uh, yeah, we, we piece all that together and get things up and running, working with the programmers. And then it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of back and forth and a lot of late nights, early mornings in the conference room trying to, you know, you, you're able to get, I, I, the way I'd put it is you're usually able to get about 80% of the way in the first week because most of that is stuff that goes into the programming and, you know, you, you avoid runs of three away games or you avoid trying to uh, put teams on the road for significant stretches of the schedule and trying to balance some of those things out. And a lot of those things are easy and things that you put into the programming. And then the real art of it is the last 10 or 20% that you spend the last three to five weeks doing. And that's refining sequences of home and away and start finish sequences and trying to get teams the right mix of home weekend dates and, and taking into account uh, institutional academic calendars and when students are back so when they can draw good attendance to get a good environment for the key home games that they have um, trying to put together a TV package so it's really a pretty significant and extensive endeavor and it's something that we uh, consider very important and, and put a lot of care and, and time into and so yeah it's a lot a lot of fun a lot, a lot goes into it I always try to avoid the conference room during that four to week process because I know it's uh it's a science project with all the paper and the magnet boards that are no longer up in here now. Um, before I let Ryan get in a question, how many different drafts, because I know it's not just one, how many times do you t does it take to get to the finished product? Is it you, 10, 15, 20, 30 more, less? Yeah, uh, at this point, we've gotten to a point where uh, working with our programmers, we'll, we'll have, ten, I'd say, about 10 or 15, maybe 20 uh, main drafts. And then there are a lot of sort of branch off, like we try to piece together specific things that the thing that's hard to, to understand until you get into it is how interconnected games in the schedule are. Like you see a schedule and you see, you know, Missouri State plays Illinois State the third week of the season and in this slot, and you, you maybe don't like that slot and, you know, that matchup in that slot for some reason, and you want to move it later in the season or earlier in the season. It seems like a simple enough thing to do, but what happens when you move one game is 30 or 40 games move around it to make sure that you're spacing out home sequences, away sequences, trying to keep those games apart so Illinois State and Missouri State aren't playing a week apart. They're playing four weeks apart or six weeks apart. And so what we'll do is we'll have a schedule and then we'll sort of try to tweak and modify. And what you end up doing ends uh, more times than not early in the process is you try to fix something and you end up messing up eight other things that you then have to sort of go back and, and either scrap the whole project or manage or start over. And so the old domino effect kind of the kind of, kind of the challenge that comes with it but uh it's a lot of fun i i growing up i was kind of a math nerd and so i got into sports administration because i love sports and you know I, I enjoy working with coaches groups i enjoy going to championships and some of the other stuff that we do with our conference committees and constituents but this really kind of <laughs> fulfills the the math nerd part of me and it's something that you know i think all, all all the folks that are involved with that that men's basketball process um is uh, you know i i think we all really really enjoy that piece of it um the the 
the the women's basketball side of it by comparison is is, is a little bit easier. Um, our television on the women's basketball side is uh, we have a little more flexibility with how we set it up since it's all through ESPN three. So we have some flexibility with start times, and we mostly play Friday, Sunday. Uh, we also have another week in the schedule because our tournament's a week later. And so uh, on the women's basketball side, we actually use a, a ten week grid formula that a lot of ten team conferences use that allows us to. Uh, play exclusively on weekends and play via travel swings. So Illinois State, rather than having to go to Wichita State, come all the way back and then go to Missouri State some other time of the year, they can play that on one swing. They can um, save 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 on travel. They can, uh, you know, and I think competitively it's very reasonable because Illinois State gets Missouri State and Wichita on a swing, and then later in the season, Missouri State and Wichita come back and get Illinois State and their travel partner on a swing. So that process is a little easier uh, because we can use the formula we actually set those women's basketball grids kind of years and years out and and again it's sort of similar to what i said on the men's side that gets you 90 percent of the way there and then the other 10 percent is sort of things you piece together the last little bit and and you try to interact uh the women's and men's schedules in a way that that makes sense and sort of balances out times when there are going to be conflicts with both being on campus things like that so Comparing this year's process to the previous years, would you say it was a little bit more difficult to come to an end schedule this year as it was in the past, uh, or was it about the same? Yeah, there's similar processes. I I think this year actually was, in some ways, a little more challenging. It it felt like, uh, the best way I can describe it is it sort of felt like the arcade game Whack-A-Mole, where we started and we really spent... Uh, a lot of time trying to figure out the sort of late last five, six games for all the teams because we had a lot of facility constraints. We had some TV things that we needed to work around toward the end of the schedule. And as we were doing that, what we found was that it, it, it was making a mess of the beginning and the middle. And so in a, in a way that wasn't going to work. And um, so we went through probably five, six, seven business days where we went through runs and runs and runs and tried this and tried that and tried spacing some things out, moving some things around. And it just, it just wasn't working. We just kept getting back from our programmer that either what we were trying to do was the word they use is infeasible, but basically means impossible. Um, or it was causing so much distortion that, I mean, you're just looking at the schedule saying we, we can't make this team play you know, five out of seven, six out of eight on the road for a stretch. And so we, we spent a long time kind of working with some of those things. When we got to the end. I thought the end product actually was probably about as good as we've had. Um, you know, some of the markers that we try to look at, we look at uh, away, home and away sequencing. We, we really try a good schedule is one that uh, has no three home or three away runs. We hit that uh, no four out of fives. We were able to hit that. Uh, and then the, the one that usually is hard to miss, but we were able to avoid this year is the no five out of seven away runs. That's mm-hmm. usually something that pops up somewhere in the schedule. And th- those are tough stretches for our teams to play five out of seven on the road. And that's a lot of travel, a lot of, you know, you're dealing with class time in a lot of cases and just the challenges that come with, with all that travel. And it, it puts a team in a tough spot to have to do that. We were able to avoid that our start and finish sequences for every team to home to away, which we, we you know, felt like was a really strong feature of the schedule. Um, we also spend a lot of time again talking about keeping pairs of games. So Bradley plays Drake, uh, making sure that the the return game Drake at Bradley is uh, you know f- as as far apart from the original game as we can get it. 
Um, sometimes those are closer than others. We try to you know keep teams from playing both ends of a series before students get back so that at least one side or the other has a chance to have that game on campus when students are around. And so um, we also have a, a metric that we look at that we call it fresh, tired, even, but it's basically a an analysis of how many times a team goes into a game with a rest advantage or a rest disadvantage and, and really trying to limit that over the schedule so you don't have a team that uh, is playing a whole bunch of games on a rest disadvantage or you know the other way around because I think one of the things that we have that's kind of cool in a 10 team double round robin format is you know you're playing everybody both places it's you know a lot a lot of leagues that are a little bit bigger and have to sort of have some opponents that you play twice and some you play once there's some natural I think uh, competitive inequity that comes with having a schedule like that we're, we're I think very fortunate in that you know we play the full 18 we play nine at home we play nine away um, the flip side of that is I think it puts a lot of pressure on the schedule to be uh, as competitively fair as uh, as it can be because you really get to the end of it and you really feel like everybody's played everybody at both sites and you really have a good way of determining a champion and, and we want what we're doing from a scheduling standpoint to, to complement that and to support that. Does having our tournament, Arch Madness, earlier than the normal tournaments, does that assist or is that a, a detriment when creating the schedule? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a definite challenge in creating the schedule so there's about right right now this year there's nine weeks between christmas which is when a lot of conferences begin conference play when you sort of start to lose non-conference scheduling opportunities and uh and our men's basketball tournament which is uh, the first weekend of march and so pretty much uh what we find is you know the calendar sort of changes based on when the final it's, it's all kind of works backwards from the final four but as the final four moves earlier and earlier, our start date for conference play moves earlier and earlier, and it moves closer and closer to the holidays, to Christmas. And a lot of our programs like to give their students a, a real meaningful break from basketball, from, from the whole thing, and give them a few days off around the holidays, and then you know kind of come back refreshed and ready for conference play. That gets tougher when you then have our conference tournament going earlier, when you have our start dates going earlier. Uh, we open play on... Uh, December 28th, which is a Wednesday, obviously three days after Christmas this year. And so, you know, you're really trying to kind of create that environment where it's reasonable for teams to take breaks. So, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging in that early part of the schedule. And, you know, you want to, you want to do things in that part of the schedule that, that are going to help you. Uh, one thing we're doing that's we're, we're hoping will help with that is so, so some of the years in the men's basketball calendar right now are sh actually shorter than other years. Uh, so you start on the second Friday in November in terms of that's the first day of competition and obviously you end with the final fours. And but the those those dates don't necessarily sync together. So there are some years that are 20 weeks between the, oh, really? the start date and the end date. Some years are 21 weeks. And so it, what we find is that the 21 week years, the longer years, we're fine. It's you know, we have plenty of space to do what we need to do. In fact, a lot of teams can even get in a game after Christmas and before the start of conference play. And that provides some good opportunities. The short years, the 20 week years, everything really seems it's, it's very compressed. It's it's very smashed together. And so 
uh, the, our conference is actually proposing an NCA rules change in this year's cycle to to standardize that to make it 21 weeks every year. And if we it would do that by moving the start date a little bit earlier in the years that are currently shorter, wouldn't change anything for practice. Wouldn't change anything in terms of putting extra time demands or constraints on student athletes. Would just give schools a chance to schedule their non-conference games a little earlier. And we think that. In turn, the effect of that will be not only that we'll have better opportunities to schedule effectively and provide you know, good opportunities in non-conference, but I think it'll also give us some space to do some things with our conference schedule and, and space some things out so that we make sure that you know, our, our, our students are getting a break or our conference schedule isn't, isn't really pressing up against the non-conference in a way that's, uh, that's unhelpful. So we're pursuing that this year. Hopefully that's something that the uh, rest of the NCAA Division One membership will look favorably upon. And uh, we're hopeful that that'll be voted in and that'll uh, take care of that problem, at least give us some relief so that uh, things aren't quite as compressed at the beginning of our conference schedule. I can't imagine that the other sports schedules, softball, baseball, men's and women's soccer, volleyball, putting those schedules together can't be quite as intense as doing men's basketball, correct? No, it's not. It's uh, all those schedules. I, so with, with men's basketball, you know, with, with all the TV pieces and facilities, like I said, we use a programmer. Um, all, all the other ones we do in-house, uh, which means mainly that I do them uh, outside of men's basketball. Uh, Patty Viverito on our staff, our senior associate commissioner, has done did the schedules for a long time before I got here. And so she definitely is a, a great resource and assists, and she does women's tennis. I do all the other ones. Uh, they're, they're all, you know, we... we, we what we've really tried to do there, so they're they're a lot less labor intensive, but you know, you, you different you, nuances for each sport. Obviously. Yeah, every every sport's different, and so w- one of the things we've really tried to do there is is to try to use our regular season scheduling as a way to be strategic in terms of how we position sports in terms of meeting broader goals. And so, for instance, um, in volleyball, our, our volleyball coaches, you know, we've we've had a lot of historical success in volleyball, multi bid league, a lot of years. Uh, we had last year and what our volleyball coaches have said for instance is we'd really like to have an extra weekend built into the schedule so that we can schedule more non-conference games beat more highly ranked non-conference teams so that we can put ourselves in a better position to get at large selection of the NCAA tournament so we found a model that takes what was historically a 10-week schedule for them and and moves it down to nine and um, you know, you play some midweek games, give up a little bit there. It's not ideal, but you, uh, you know, you you put yourself in a position where they now have four full non-conference tournament weekends to play and, and put themselves in a spot where they can get selection. Uh, men's soccer's done something. We're going to a, an eight-game and unbalanced model that uh, is, is something that we're trying this year as a way to see if we can find sort of the right spacing between games and the right number of conference games for us so that teams can go out and use their resources strategically in non-conference. And again, hopefully position for, for some at-large bids, um, softball and baseball, you know, we've done some things there in softball. The biggest challenge we have is it, just because we have 10 teams, so you're playing, uh, 27 games, nine series, and some of those series are being played in in March, which yeah. uh, obviously in the Midwest, <laughs> March weather isn't exactly question mark. something that you look for. <laughs> There's a big, big, big question mark, and especially uh, for our, some of our northern schools, I, yeah. you know, the Iowa, Northern Illinois. Uh, you know, hosting softball on March 20th, on March 15th, isn't really something that 
is a very, you know, it's, it's definitely a risky endeavor. And sure. so what we've tried is, you know, to, to put a lot of those series in the South and, um, and then hopefully move the Northern games a little later in the schedule to, to try and do that. That's a pretty simple change, but it's been one that I think has really helped us to get some games in and have, you know, when we get to the end of the season, when we, when we get to lining up for our conference tournament and declaring a regular season champion, I think we have a little bit of a truer measure of, of what the seasons meant than maybe we would have if a whole bunch of games had been rained out or colded out or snowed out or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and so we've done some similar things in some other sports, but really trying to use those as a way to advance kind of broader goals while still having a good competitive balanced regular season. That's kind of what we've tried to do. Anything? I think we've covered it all here, Greg. <laughs> you didn't quite blow my mind. I didn't know everything that he said, yeah. but he didn't quite blow my mind. But some of the stuff I sort of wasn't aware. Of. I mean, I'm never in the room. I don't. I don't. Don't take it the wrong way. I don't want to be in the room. I've got other stuff going on. Just so I assume you care to not be dealing with some of the stuff that I deal with on a day to day basis too. But it's interesting because dealing with television, dealing with uh, a balance, you know, uh, a fairness aspect of it, and then just talking basketball here again. Um, oh, that's interesting because you hear from the coaches, you hear their wants and needs, and then you have the facilities to worry about, and you've got TV to worry about. No easy yeah. way to get from point A to point B. And I was able to step in here for a little bit and watch you guys work. And I tell you what, it really was Russell Crowe and a beautiful mind. <laughs> I mean, you had that magnet board and the matchups moving around and just sucking down that coffee and just deep in thought. And it was really something to see. And then I know like you guys kind of kept scrapping versions and kind of start back from square one. So I'm sure it was very frustrating and the labor was hard and it was uh, just kind of neat to kind of see how it all came together. Yeah, it's like I said, it's, it, it can be an exhausting process, but it kind of plays to a side of me that, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of people have Derek's reaction. I think they sort of see the conference room and see us all. <laughs> it's like back away slowly. And, and there's, there's a lot of, back away slowly. A, lot, a lot of folks who don't find their way into the conference room for some reason in the whole month of August. And we haven't really been able to figure out why, right, right. but uh, for me, it's, you know, it's something we enjoy doing. And I, I think, you know, between the, the four of us on the men's side and, uh, you know, and, and certainly Patty's contributions on the women's side are, are extremely valuable as well. I think we've got a lot of experience in the room, a lot of good minds that, that know the game, know the league, know what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, you can't always do everything for everybody, even though you try. But I, I think we do a pretty good job of, of balancing out and, and being fair and putting teams in a position where they have the most important things for them. And uh, we'll do you know whatever we can to, to fit as many of those pieces together as we can. And uh, th that's probably uh, you know, the, the best a membership can hope for out of their conference office and developing a schedule. And we try to do that. As of this moment right now, are you working on any schedule right now, like today? I just got you know we're, what's what's interesting is you know men's basketball we do uh, six months you know not even six right. months in front of the conference season because part of so much of what's happening is derivative of ESPN's right. you know so ESPN figures out the NBA schedule and then you know they have some some other conference partners that you know they need to figure out some pieces with and and, and us as well and we're part of that process but that all plays out in you know again late July August and and there's really no way to get 
in front of it because without those parameters, you're just building a schedule that you can't right. use anyway because you know it, it comes back and doesn't meet their needs, and you just end up going back to the drawing board. So it's it's kind of a waste of time. In all our other sports, the goal is to get sort of as far out as you can get responsibly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the women's basketball side, they just sent me like four yeah. or five years in advance. I, I, I'm I'm trying to get them scheduled through tw- <laughs> 22 in yeah. women's basketball. So that's that's really the goal right now. And uh, you know, on the women's side, again, you know, we. Use uh, we, that that tra- that grid that ten team grid is is amazingly travel efficient. It's amazingly competitively balanced. One thing, it's not as flexible. It's very rigid. And so what we found is that if we can set those a few years out or even five or six, seven years out, it really puts our schools in a position where they can plan and then they can build, uh, you know, for, for those of us that have campus, for those that have campus facilities, the campus facility now has a little more space to go and book other events that can generate a lot of revenue for the institution, for the civic buildings. You know, that I, I think our civic buildings have been really good partners, uh, you know, and, and, and that's been something that we've been able to, to use and help uh, with there as well. But really, we're able to get a good ways out and then everybody can kind of plan and um, and get ready for it. In the other sports, you know, we're trying to get three, four years out. And I, I think at this point, we're about as far out as we can be sort of responsibly in any sport. Um, you know, you, with spring sports, you, you can't get too far right. out because you start getting into the last part of the regular season is overlaid with fi- institutional final exam periods. And, it, you know, we really don't try to get too much farther out than our institutional exam calendars will let us because for baseball, softball, it's really important that the student athletes be on campus or close to campus as much as we can let them be uh, in the week or two, especially before exams and and certainly throughout the year. Uh, Now that we've expanded dramatically our ESPN3 package and and the institutional productions that are on there, that's added a completely different layer that wasn't in there before of trying to minimize the number of conflicts so that, I mean, really what we're trying to do is get more of our product and more of our fans. And so um, trying to create circumstances where you know, you don't have a whole bunch of teams on campus at the same time and the institution can't put, you know, do an ESPN three broadcast of soccer because they also have volleyball or they can't do baseball because they also have softball. And so, you know, that's, that's put a layer in that's, that's, uh, that's new and that's different, but yeah, we're about, about three out and, uh, most of the other sports and that's probably about as far as we can go, but, uh, I'm happy to kind of put the scheduling, uh, files away for a couple <laughs> months and, uh, you know, get ready, go watch some, some good uh, uh, soccer and some good volleyball and, and cross country and football's going on. So it's a, it's a good time of year and uh, more than happy to kind of come back to scheduling once we get to the spring. <laughs> you don't have to be as frazzled now, so you can kind of relax. Yeah, I'm a lot, lot, lot happier guy yeah. when, uh, once we get past that men's basketball schedule and that out. So just put the finishing touches on that and TV and uh, game times, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of move on and uh, go play some games. I always say that we're mostly all hands on deck for a lot of things, a lot of projects in this office. That's one that my hands are not on the deck for. So I appreciate the fact that I can stay away from any scheduling aspect uh, of the project that goes on. So appreciate your time, sir. That was insightful and, and enlightening. I had no idea it was that much into it. I've gotten some tidbits from Doug here and there, but uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of moving parts. So appreciate your insight. Thanks again, and uh, we'll have to get you back on soon. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks, Greg. The Valley on ESPN3 is home to hundreds of live events from across the Missouri Valley Conference. 
with television service from one of many providers, you can watch live anytime, anywhere on WatchESPN.com or the Watch ESPN app. With a number of devices and platforms for viewing, the Valley on ESPN3 has all the action all season long. For more information, visit NBCSports.com slash The Valley on ESPN3. All right, we're back, and I asked Greg to stick around because we got into a conversation just about things in general, about the league and our time working here. And, Ryan, this might be educational for you. Um, and feel free to chime in at any time. But So one of Greg's responsibilities, he's also our sport, league sport manager for men's soccer and baseball, um, which means he's at those championships. He's involved. He's talking to coaches. You know, he's, you know, on the on the, the field, you know, we're all managing championship, all hands on deck. That's a term I always like to use is all hands on deck. Our role's all different. You know, we've got things we specialize in, but different things happen. Um, we were just talking about Bradley. I can't think of the year that that was. I think it was. At men's soccer. 2013. 2013. There was a severe weather that came through. It was a tornado. I believe Washington, Illinois is where it hit. Um, just really, really bad weather. And I can remember, you know, you guys were there before us getting ready and I was with Kelly Briscoe at the time on our way there, and we drew, we stopped. We were thinking, wow, this is heavy rain. We need to pull over. Turns out that was probably an edge of the tornado coming through, you know, you know really strong weather. We call and says, hey, we're on our way. Do you guys need something from, you know, to eat or whatever? You guys shouldn't leave the hotel. There's a tornado in the area. Right. It's like we didn't know that. We were paying attention, just wanting to get there. Stuff like that happens. Absolutely. It just happens. Um Go back to your time even at the summit. I don't know if, if you've had something like that. Do you th- – I ain't sure the, the perfect way of wording it. When you go into a championship, what is the one thing that you probably don't want to go wrong? Besides not, not counting the on the field, the, the, the sport itself, the one thing that you probably don't want to see besides weather, like just a, a natural disaster facility issue, you know, Absolutely. Like what? What do you what do you go into it thinking? Because oh, I know what I, what I go into a championship thinking. I want streaming to work. Yep, yep. I don't want people to complain on Twitter. Nope. You know, I want to make sure everything's great and fine and functional and it's and it's working. Yeah, we want all those <laughs> all, all those things too, obviously. But uh, yeah, from my standpoint, there's a happy medium there. Like I, I, I once said, I think I've, I think I've said it a few times, and I think the universe has kind of paid me back for it. But that you know, in sort of the the management oversight kind of role you, you you almost you know and like you said we we have a number of staff that go to our championships and and have specific roles and we have we have great great staff so, you know our, our Kristen Gregory who does our operations goes to a lot of our championships and things run very smoothly from that standpoint you know you you, you do your thing on the new media and technology side our sports information crew does their thing there and you know a lot of times if the weather's good and things are kind of rolling right along from my standpoint, the job's easy and, you know, and, and almost boring. And there's something that, you know, in a way that's a good thing if, you know, if I don't have a lot to do from, from that standpoint, it means that things are going well. I've been known to say that like, you know, sometimes it's, it's fun to have at least some, you know, some entertainment, some, sure. some drama just to feel like you kind of contributed to the, to the cause. But, uh, so I've had a few that I think the, the universe has kind of paid, you know, maybe taking that a little too far. We, uh, like you said, to 2013, I think it and that was, might be the extreme. Yeah. Bradley with the, with the tornado was really the, 
the, you know, just uh, as far down that spectrum as you'd ever want to go because, you know, we, we play our championship in men's soccer on a Sunday. Uh, the, it, it was a year that we were absolutely unquestionably going to be a one bid conference to the NCAA. So the, the conference champion and an NCAA bid was absolutely going to be determined by the championship game. It was between Missouri state and Bradley. Um, and you know, you knew going in that there was some risk that you were going to have some weather on Sunday, but the forecast wasn't that bad. It looked like, you know, a thunderstorm was going to kind of go through and somehow over the course of the maybe 18 hours before, uh, we were scheduled to kick off the forecast just kept getting worse and worse and worse and and finally you know you, you get to 11 or 10 or 11 in the morning and you know you're starting to see some some pretty nasty stuff on the radar and that tornado comes through and you know I I, I still have pictures on my phone and my computer of you know the, maybe 12 or 1 in the afternoon and it, it was it looked like it was nine o'clock at night there's you know rain going sideways a flagpole broke um, oh, I forgot about the, that wow yeah the, the the field was so underwater that you just you couldn't even imagine the, or conceive of playing a game on it and you know and meanwhile like in addition to that there there are so many things happening that are that are way beyond the scope of you know a, a college soccer game like you know you have damage to to property in the area there was some really significant damage to houses of, of you know, people we knew and people the host uh, staff knew in, in the Washington area and, you know, some, some some pretty major challenges. I think Bradley was playing a men's basketball game at Illinois that day, which is just down the road, and uh, the interstate was closed. They couldn't get where they were going. Um, you know, fans couldn't get there. Administrators couldn't even get from, from Peoria over to Champaign for the game. And, um, you know, and, and you just had some really – some really heavy stuff going on. And I remember looking at the field at, and just thinking, there's no way in the world we're going to play on this field anytime, you know, and, and it was Sunday, you're, you're, you have to tell the NCA who your champion is by 11:59 PM Eastern time. So by 11, basically by 11 PM local time, we had to have a champion or, or else we were going to have to go back and decide that the way it would work was that our regular season champion would have defaulted to being the, the automatic bid. And that's not how you, I mean, you want to, you know, in this, it's as important as anything to decide it on the field. And so we, I, I, again, like just, you, you, it was a lake, the field was a lake. And I, I remember distinctly talking to Bobby Parker, uh, the sports information director at, at Bradley, who said, Greg, I'm, I'm telling you, just let it, that, that field drains better than just about any field you'll ever see. All you need is a few hours of clear time and it's going to work out. And I thought, like, but it's a lake. Like, I, like, it's all water. How could that be? That's that's crazy. And so we were, you know, looking at contingency plans. We called uh, the the folks at SIU Edwardsville and said, "Hey, do you have a field for us if we all get in the, you know, get in buses and go?" And 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 ultimately, the weather forecast wasn't really going to allow for that anyway, just because the winds were too strong and getting everybody in buses uh, wasn't, you know, as as the afternoon went on it quickly became very clear that that wasn't going to work as a strategy for for a variety of good reasons for safety but you know i, I and and sure enough bobby was right we got you know a couple hours out and got to be about three or four and took the officials out and said what do you got is it safe can we can, can we play on this and they said you know what this field is perfectly playable it's not ideal but it's absolutely playable and uh you know and no safety concerns and we ended up 
playing the game. And, um, you know, the net of that was that uh, Bradley ended up who was, you know, not in position to go to the tournament in any way other than winning the game, ended up winning the game and, and going to the tournament and um, actually went to Northwestern and, and won a first yep. round game in overtime, phenomenal game yep. in overtime. And, uh, you know, just something that was, uh, you know, and again, there, there were pieces of that that were bigger than uh, a men's soccer game at Bradley that day. But, you know, certainly from a management standpoint, that's about as good as it gets. You know, as, as, as far as outside of the weather, I mean, you know, that's the... the you, you you really want I, I mean more than anything it's you just really want the environment to allow for a fair determination of what's happening on the field and so anything that kind of gets into that space and you know whether it's um you know and, and and most of it really is either in my experience most of them have been either weather or you know things that happen over the course of competition and you know whether it's uh, you know i can think of uh, appeals in certain sports that have gone to championship committees and things that you know you talk about but most of the things that are between the lines but um you know that's i mean i worked at the summit before this and when when i was there they were kind of transitioning geography i guess the geography there's in that membership is settled and i think a really good way for that league um, when I was there, it was kind of all over the place. There were there were schools in uh, Indiana and, and Michigan and the Dakotas and Southern Utah was in the league. And so you had such a range. You would conduct the same championship year to year and have such a range of of, of weather outcomes. So like uh, you know, we administered a men's golf championship in in Michigan in, uh, you know, and you can imagine what the weather looks like that for that for an outdoor sport and in, in April and some of the, you know, similar to some of the challenges that we have in the Valley and in baseball and softball. And, um, you know, it's just the, those, those, those things create some very challenging environments. And in some ways that's, you know, what, what we're there for. And that's, you know, we're, we're there to make good decisions and try to be fair to the student athletes and coaches and recognize that, you know, this is, this is a, in a lot of cases for a lot of student athletes, a conference championship is sort of the, the, crowning achievement of their careers. Some will go on to the NCAAs and, you know, some will play past college, but in a lot of cases, you know, teams that don't win our championship and, and don't get selected at large or, you know, in an individual sport, somebody who doesn't hit an NCAA qualifying mark, that's going to be the biggest meet that they probably go to and, and the most important experience that they have. And, you know, so in some ways that's kind of where we, where we earn our, our money and earn our stripes in terms of providing a good atmosphere. And, you know, I think it's, one of the hard parts of the job, but I also think it's one of the fun parts of what we do. Yeah, I say that might be one of the more uh, uh, one of the more things that you get more gratitude out of knowing that we're there to put on these events, there to make sure that the kids have the championship experience, maintain level of fairness, and also that the experience overall, coaches, student athletes, fans, whoever it might be, they actually enjoy themselves and whatnot. I always get a get a good kick out of we do pack up the van and leave and you hear you see the parents that are talking to their kids out by the bus and they see us and they go you guys did a great job I was here all weekend and really appreciate everything you did it's kind of like I just went out and took some pictures and you know made sure that po folks are happy it's like they're the ones actually playing the games and doing this and, and everything like that it's like it's nice to know that people actually see that and recognize it um, as you're sitting there, we're sort of like rehashing historically stuff that we've gone through. I'm just remembering my first year on staff, and this isn't anything to the extreme or anything, but um, 
in every televised championship, this was for the ESPN3 uh, era. Uh, this is when we were video streaming on Valley Live or we had uh, the championship games or matches of soccer and volleyball on regional cable. Uh, my first year, the 2010-11 year, every single host that hosted a team championship that we televised won the championship. <laughs> so women's soccer was won by Creighton. Uh, they hosted. Men's soccer was won by Bradley. They hosted. Volleyball was won by Northern Iowa. They hosted. Softball was won by Missouri State. They were the host. And baseball was won by Creighton. They were the host. It's stuff like that. I'm kind of like, well, that's an odd trend. Of course, that trend was broken the very next year. I think it might have been broken with the very first championship in the very, first, in the very next year. Um, but it's stuff like that. It's kind of like, well, that's odd. Don't really know how that worked out. But I'm thinking, I'm like, Wow, that is kind of weird. It's like Missouri's my first year on staff. Missouri State won finally won a regular season men's basketball top championship. They'd never done it. They're here out. Well, first time. I'm like, well, that's weird. Indiana State won the tournament. They hadn't been to the tournament in a while before that. It's like kind of weird things like that that happen in trickle down. You think about historically through this conference that now over the past this is 2016, four years. I mean, just talking about Wichita State alone, what they've done. We've seen a lot of crazy history on and off, and I'm wondering if anything sticks out in your mind because Ryan's going to see some stuff probably as soon as, as possibly men's soccer, the way things are going on, because we've got some really good freshmen that are coming out of nowhere and a different tournament format. Anything sticking out in your mind like that at all? Yeah, one of the uh, to me, one of the things that I enjoyed uh, the most in terms of a specific sports season in the Valley in the five years I've been here was uh, – was two years ago in baseball when we had three teams in the tournament. We had Dallas Baptist and Missouri State both in the mix for uh, you know, both were uh, number one seeds and both were in the mix for you know some some really significant significant hosting opportunities and uh, you know they uh, to, for them both to have the opportunity to host a regional um, you know to have the conference be positioned in the you know, top six of the conference RPI the whole year and, and really seeing that play out and just showing the strength of the conference. You know, we, we have eight teams in baseball. And, you know, for those two to be positioned for Bradley to get an at-large, Bradley really had, you know, I think probably did about as as good of a job of non-conference scheduling in that sports season as any we've seen in, in any sport and really is kind of a, a school and a sports season that we've used as a, as a roadmap, as an example for how to schedule in a way that puts you in a position to get an at-large bid was, was 15 for baseball. And, uh, you know, that was, I think a lot of fun to watch and something that, you know, if you're looking for a year where, you know, you, you sort of look at the aggregate success and, you know, it's not just people, what people don't realize going into that is it's not just Missouri state's success. It's not just Dallas Baptist success. It's not just Bradley's success that lead to us having three teams in, but it really is the success of all eight teams in the league. Right. Because if, if you have three top teams that really have phenomenal seasons, but then you have five others that, you know, go out and, and really have a hard time in non-conference play, then it, it's really hard for the three on the top to show during conference play that they're really strong teams because every time they win, it's like, well, you beat somebody who has a bad record and every time they lose, it's, you know, really held against them. And so, you know, in that same year, you, several of the other teams in the league really also had 
pretty strong seasons, maybe not in a situation where they were likely to be at large selections or, or, or really in that mix. But, but they all heighten the profile you know, of the yeah, league. Put, put, put themselves in a, in a position where, you know, if, if, if Bradley or if Dallas Baptist goes out and sweeps them or gets two out of three from them in a conference series, it really improves their positioning. And so, you know, similar to uh, we, were, we were talking a little earlier about volleyball, getting four teams in. And, you know, again, that those things kind of cycle on themselves where, you know, you go to the tournament and a team will play two teams or three teams, you know, may not win the tournament, maybe gets to the finals and loses, but on the way plays a couple of teams that are top 50 RPI teams that have really good record that have really significant wins. And like, those are the kind of things that uh, really put you in a, uh, as a league in a position to be good every year to get multiple teams into the NCAAs. And, you know, I think those are the ones that are the, the the sports seasons that are probably some of the most fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's always fun. So um, we're going to wrap up here. I told Ryan before we recorded that I wanted to do something different. I wanted us to come up with an idea that was sort of creative, unique, whatever it might be. And he asked me, like, what we were going to do. I go, open open slate. I, I didn't want him to prep our – I mean, I guess did not say didn't prep, but I didn't want to restrict – um, I had in my mind what I was going to do, and I didn't prep, and I still have it. Um, so right now, I'm going to fire off at both of you, and you can look at me like I'm crazy, but these are sort of uh, my five shout-outs that I'm going to give. And these shout-outs are in no particular order, um, just stuff that I either saw online, social media, around the league that I want to let folks know what's going on. So first up, I got to give a shout-out to Missouri State Volleyball. Last night they won their 1,200. I know I might be stealing from Ryan's thunder, too, as he's holding up a piece of paper. stole my number, too. That's right. We can share this one. Um, <laughs> but here's the, here's the funny part about this. So I'm sitting there. It was the only uh, volleyball match that was on the Valley on ESPN3 last night. So it was easy to focus in on that one as they were playing their home opener, the Dr. Mary Jo Wynn a tournament, which is going on this particular weekend as we record. Um, but that win was their 1,200th win of the program's history. So I saw the graphic on the on the broadcast. It's kind of like, really? All right. Well, they won the match. So they're number three overall behind Nebraska and UCLA. Pretty impressive. The teams behind Missouri State are BYU and Penn State. Volleyball powerhouses there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tweeted that just from my own account. I'm like, I saw that. You had like all kinds of retweets. Normally, normally that's something I would tweet from the Valley, but I didn't think, yeah. I was kind of like, I just threw it in there because I had tweeted the graphic that Missouri State did. I yeah. thought that was more significant, more powerful because it was a nice graphic. So I just copied and pasted the the win total and just sent it out. It's like, wow, congratulations, Missouri State. Cliff Smart, the president's retweeting it. Was like everyone, every, like student athletes I didn't know were Missouri State student athletes <laughs> are showing up in my feed, and I follow a lot of them. So I went back. I had one person that asked that said, that can't be right. Missouri State, like that many wins. So I actually went back and looked at the NCAA volleyball record book just to double check. And I'm like, why would they make that up? That Why would you do that? That's pointless. So I did. The beginning of the year, Missouri State was number three uh, behind Nebraska, UCLA, uh, and ahead of BYU, Penn State, Long Beach State, Hawaii, Texas, Minnesota, and Portland State. Like, Greg's in sh- like that's some volleyball <laughs> legitimacy right there. But also, Illinois State ranks number 13 in this list. Going into this year, they had 1,042 wins. So another Valley volleyball Mm -hmm. team there that has had some – I mean, their winning percentage coming into 2016 was 663, 1042, and 529 losses. So shout-outs to Illinois State and Missouri State. Missouri State for getting their 1,200th program 
win. So long way to get there, but definitely want to give that out. So I guess my one and my two, Missouri State, Illinois State, because yeah. I didn't know Illinois State had that many program wins. Um, my number three shout-out goes to uh, Drake Women's Soccer. We talk a lot about – well, Another I, one. I, I probably have something different on that, though, because this is more of social media. Um, we talk a lot about what the kids do on the field, off the field, and everything. But um, I don't know who's running the Drake Women's Soccer Twitter account. I know the SIDs typically have access to it. But when on the road, it's a question mark. I don't always know. Well, I saw a, uh, a post that was retweeted. And we see the, I see this often myself. And I see it at the championships. We'll see student athletes in the lobby of the hotel and their laptops. They're all studying. That's the time they, uh, they, they can find to fit it in. And we've actually seen on some of our surveys we've done, some of these kids actually study more when they're traveling because they know they've got to hunker down and get it done than when they're not on campus. So very small gesture. But there was a tweet with photos that said students first. And it was the students in the hotel uh, uh, lobby area in the restaurant area, all on their laptops, all on their books, tweeting or not tweeting. Hopefully they weren't tweeting, but they were obviously they were studying. So that kind of stuff I always like to see because yeah, we talk so much about the negatives and the, uh, what's going on yeah. in, in college athletics. That kind of stuff it's it makes me proud that that's a Missouri Valley Conference team. We see that often from our programs, our student athletes doing that, and so, they're undefeated. And Drake women's soccer yeah. is undefeated. How yeah. about that? The only one undefeated. Uh, on the women's side. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I guess what I'd add to that, too, is, you know, just it, 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 a lot of this podcast is, you know, sort of what happens behind the scenes. And, I, and given, that's what we call it given, inside the valley. Given the readers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it would be really uh, it, I think it's really interesting from my standpoint, you know, like you said, the the public narrative about what being a student athlete is and what it isn't is, you know, I, I think everybody kind of follows that. And, you know, it, I think it's always interesting to me to see the extent to which our administrators, our faculty reps, you know, I mean, we, we, we meet throughout the year in a whole bunch of different settings and really everything we do from how we conduct our championships, there's always an academic side to that. That's always a conversation that we're having is, you know, does the format lend itself to academics? You know, does, how does this impact in a fall sport? You know, you're, you're in the few weeks running up to final exams. How does this impact miss class time over the course of the season? Like, our administrators, our faculty reps are really engaged in a significant way in doing that. When you get to the spring, you know, you get to uh, everything we do from a championships perspective either touches on the last few weeks of the school year or exam periods, you know, and, and I think uh, our student athlete advisory committee is a group of student athletes. You're still in one of mine. You're that, still in one of mine. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, that group is unbelievable. And like, to you know, for, for people who just see the product on the field to, to get to know, you know, we have two student athletes from each institution, one male, one female that come to the office, uh, uh, come to St. Louis twice a year, and we meet with them periodically via teleconference and, and email, and they do so much good work for the student-athletes of the league. And, uh, you know, just uh, when we set anything, I mean, we do championship studies, strategic studies. Patty Viverito in our office has overseen a couple of those over the last few years. We do post-championship surveys. We talk about regular season scheduling. We talk about how we do, you know, just formats. We, you know, they, 
we've added recognition ceremonies. You know, we've added a graduation recognition for track because track covers an entire weekend, start to finish. And for a lot of student athletes, that's their graduation recognition. And so just these little things that come in that our administrators are tracking on, that our student athletes are tracking on, that really, you know, adds to that experience that somebody from the outside who, you know, sees us on ESPN and basketball, I mean, that's 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 absolutely right. a huge part of who absolutely. we are and our identity. And, you know, I, I, it's an important part of the product. But as you look kind of behind the scenes, you know, I, I, it's a, it really is amazing to see the extent to which what you said, you know, the, the academic side of it and how that interfaces with our scheduling and, and how we do our championships and operations really comes into it. It's amazing to be a part of. Absolutely. I mentioned you were stealing one of mine from SAC. Um, that group, very near and dear to my heart, obviously. I love interacting with those, uh, those student athletes there. Um, Reagan Smith, Indiana State women's basketball player. Uh, the uh, SAC, the conference SAC rep uh, from uh, Indiana State. I saw this on Twitter as well. Um, this past summer during their meeting, uh, they had a rep from uh, Be The Match, the uh, bone marrow uh, donation. Uh, Indiana State is moving forward of putting together a, a drive to uh, uh, do bone marrow donor registry uh, happening on September 24th uh, when the Sycamores take on uh, Illinois State football. Uh, Reagan tweeted out, and you can probably find it on Indiana State's SAC account. Uh, it's been retweeted. I thought it was retweeted. I, I let the SAC kids still run the NBC SAC account. Uh, but they're acting quick. This was something that sort of, you know, it was brought to their attention. We didn't push them to do it. But she obviously involved in the medical field as her uh, academic major. Probably this is a little bit more near and dear to her. So they're moving on it. And I was impressed. I'm looking at the flyer here uh, with her contact info on it. They're putting together, so I'm anxious to see how that turns out, and I'm just so uh, thrilled that they're able to put something together like that, and pretty well done, uh, organized thus far. So we'll see how that goes for them uh, later this month on doing the uh, the Be The Match registry uh, drive on September 24th uh, for their home football game. So kudos to uh, Reagan Smith and uh, Indiana State SAC for doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. My final one, my fifth and final one, is a shout-out to uh, Loyola men's soccer head coach. We talked about soccer scheduling a little bit. Uh, the Ramblers, as of right now, that match is probably getting ready to start, if not yeah, starting already. In an hour. Okay. Uh, I talked to uh, Neil Jones, head coach of the Ramblers, in my latest one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, Skype interview session. Just wanted to give him a shout-out. I appreciate his time. Uh, I, I sort of – when you get a coach that you don't know very well, you sort of – you don't know how they take jokes and things like that. But last year uh, at our uh, tournament at the awards uh, reception – he won me over. He, he he got up there and was just funny and, and poked fun at kids' hair and did all these things that was entertaining. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talked a lot of just soccer, and I was, you know, talking to him about, you know, um, they had the defense player of the year, player of the year, and the goalkeeper of the year. So defense mm -hmm. was really, really good for them last year. And just, you know what? He answered the question straight up, so I appreciate his time. Uh, you can check that out on the Valley's YouTube or on the website. Uh, NBCSports.com, but uh, my shout-out, Neil Jones and uh, the 3-0 Loyola Ramblers heading into today's big match with Utah Valley, a ranked team uh, in the top 25. So that's what I got. That's it. Just five snippets, things I want to bring to people's attention. <laughs> Ryan, it's all yours. Well, you stole some of mine, but I'll go ahead and talk about one that you didn't mention. Um, with volleyball, we have three big games coming up this week, and we have three cracks at a Power 5 top 25 win. Uh, Missouri State, they host number 12, Ohio State, at 7 o'clock tonight. Um, 
right now, uh, the Bears, they hold a 3-2 edge in that all-time series. So the last meeting with the Buckeyes was back in 1991. So hopefully Missouri State can get win 1,201 tonight and get a top 25 win. Wichita State, uh, they are going to play number three Texas over in Colorado Springs. And the Shockers, they've won three straight matches heading into that. They've yet to beat Texas head-to-head. Um, in that all-time series, they play tomorrow at one o'clock. And that might be a good opportunity too. With you know, neutral site, quote unquote. Yeah. That's a that's a in that thin air though. You've been to Colorado Springs. I went to Colorado Springs for vacation this year. That's right. <laughs> You're right. And it was it was a little bit of a shock to me this, this Midwestern Missouri kid here. And then the one that surprised me too, Northern Iowa. They cap off the weekend. They play number four Kansas in Lawrence. The all-time series. Guess what? The all-time series. You and I against Kansas. I'm going to say in favor of you and I, how many games? Give me that. 13 games. 13 games. I'm going to say you and I up 10-3. I don't think you'd be going with it if you and I wasn't (laughs) up in the series. But I'm going 7-6. Well, the surprise is there's a tie involved. Oh. (laughs) You know what? There are a number of volleyball ties. I saw that in the record book, too, from Missouri State. 9-2-1, and they've won nine in a row against the Jayhawks. Wow. So... Hopefully they'll win their tenth in a row tomorrow and knock off the fourth ranked Jayhawks. So and Kansas just played a, a heck of a match the other night against uh, former Valley member Creighton, yeah. actually. So uh, another another good opportunity too. Yeah, and I mean our volleyball teams they've had great success this non non league season. They have eleven are winning records against eleven leagues, and then they've tied another three leagues. So keep that trend going this week, and then. Next weekend will be the final weekend of the non-conference slate before we get into conference play. So. Oh, and it's that, it's that time to, to play <laughs> conference matches. So, And soccer is going to be playing <laughs> conference matches, too. Like, women's soccer will be first, obviously, yeah. closer. They start their season earlier, but men's soccer is not going to be that far behind either. So this is the time that we sort of got to turn off the, hey, let's go, everybody. <laughs> All right, now it's conference time. <laughs> For, force neutrality in the conference office. We're ready. <laughs> that, and that's probably, for me, being the, the social media person here, I sit and do the, the non-conference cheerleading probably as hard as anybody because I'm like, uh-oh, Wichita State's up on Utah. Uh-oh, we've got SLU down on the ropes. Uh-oh, we got this team. We're, we're up by five. North Carolina at, at Northern Iowa. What's going on? And then it's kind of like, Right now, there's a tie game in, in Carbondale as the Salukis and Evansville are almost headed to double overtime. You just sort of change the tone a little bit. You're not allowed to use an exclamation point for like two months of every <laughs> sports season. That's kind of the way that plays out on social media. <laughs> so, all right. Well, it's, it's, uh, God, it's, it's hard to believe it is September. It's going to be that time where uh, I guess our first championship is probably about a month away from this weekend with the women's tennis. Uh, individuals coming up in Evansville and then cross country will be uh, that last weekend in October. So we're getting close. This is the, Ryan doesn't know this yet. I mean, he's, he's come from a conference, but Mm -hmm. that November, October, November swing is, is our go time. Oh yeah. It's going to be busy. All conference voting and tournament prep and tournament coverage. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. So, well, appreciate everybody's time. Appreciate Greg for sitting in for, uh, what became not just one segment, but multiple. So we'll have to do this again. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Please be sure you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, check us out at NBCSports.com, the uh, multimedia tab, and then audio and podcast. iTunes, you can subscribe, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, and there's an RSS feed if you use a, uh, a different kind of podcast downloading app uh, on your mobile device or your tablet. So 
uh, for Ryan Davis, for Greg Walter, Associate Commissioner, uh, Institutional Service. I don't think I even said your title when we first started. <laughs> People are like, what does he do? They're going to go look you up on the website now. I, I believe you referred to me as Scheduling Guru. So, and I refer to you uh, as my Beautiful Mind. Show. I don't know which one you prefer. <laughs> I have to change your business card now. <laughs> I need to go see what other movies Russell Crowe is to make sure I'm comfortable. With that. <laughs> thank you, Jennifer, for uh, joining, and thank you all for listening. This has been the Inside the Valley podcast for Friday, September 9th, 2016.